0: You gotta put one foot in front of the other and lead with love, put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. You gotta put one foot in front of the other. got to put one, one foot, foot in front of the foot other foot and, foot and leave on. with oh, no, the other One, one, one foot, foot, foot in front of the other and the Put one one foot foot in front of the other and lead with love. love love Put one foot in front of the other other, and lead with love. I know you're scared. I know that you're scared. scared And I'm scared too. But here I am. But here I am, yes. Right next to you. You gotta put one foot foot in front of the other. reading from Mark 2. One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need of food? He entered the house of God, when abathar was high priest and ate the bread of the presence which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat and he gave some to his companions then he said to them the sabbath was made for humankind and not humankind for the sabbath so the son of man is lord even of the sabbath the word of the lord
1: good morning Welcome to worship this morning. We're so glad that you're here, whether you're here in person or joining us online from all over the place. We're tidying up our sermon series this morning, Created to Be. It's been such a great experience talking about the many ways that God gifts us with so much in our lives, that everything that we have is given from God, and it's our gift to share that with the world around us, with our families, with our communities, and our workplaces. And so as we end this sermon series, uh, we are landing in, I think, a really important uh, uh, theme this week, and it's about a new work week. So I need to paint a picture for you. It was uh, Tuesday night, just down the road in Chanhassen. And uh, I was in one of my favorite places, which happens to be uh, where we go every Tuesday night. It's where my daughter Dorothy practices dance. Um, And it's one of my favorite places because it's the most noisy place I've ever been in my life. (laughs) So you walk in and it's this narrow hallway all the way down to the end of the hall where Dorothy goes and dances and has a lovely time. And of course, I was uh, I was sick with a man cold. It's worse than a normal cold. It's just uh, it it was described to me by my wonderful spouse. It's called a man cold. It just has much more terrible symptoms, Um, at at least much more vocal symptoms. So I was a little bit cranky and and wandering down the hallway, and I had a bit more of a to-do list to do, and I bumped into another dad who was in his favorite place of the entire week, and all we had to do was give each other the look. You know the look, right? I I see you again. Here we are. Uh, He happens to go to church here, and, and, and we see each other at least three to five times a week in addition to church, right? Because our kids happen to be in the same activities, so we always have that minute to chat, to check in, to see how things are going. Uh, But I could see the look on his face, and I'm sure that he saw a look on mine, right? It was just one of those days. But it got me thinking about the ways that our work week is more than just a work week. You see, every Tuesday night at dance is a part of my week. It's a really important part of my work week. I think we'll get, that, get to that in a minute. Our whole world has been having a conversation about what our work week should look like, right? You've seen this on the news. Many of you work in places where you're having this sort of conversation uh, about innovating a new work week, right? There is a sort of innovation here uh, about what a new work week looks like. And if you could grab my clicker for me there, back there, thank you. There we are. Of course, we have the idea of remote work that we stumbled into in the pandemic. The idea of hybrid work beyond that. Unlimited PTO is something that I'm starting to hear about. Although I just read something recently that studies show people take less paid time off when they're given unlimited PTO. Now, let me just say that again. You're given unlimited PTO and studies show that human beings take Less? There seems to be something wrong there. I think we'll get at some of that too. The four day work week. I know there's been conversations about what a four day work week can look like. And now there's treats to come back to work or maybe uh, uh, entertainment or all sorts of things. And then there's also requirements to come back to work. If the carrot doesn't work, then we'll try the stick. And that is, of course, also on top of the vast number of humans and workers who have been working in person since the dawn of time, right? Some marvelous servants, teachers, and nurses, and first responders, and all of those amazing people thinking about what a new work week looks like. Well, innovations in the work week are actually nothing new. You see, the term Sabbath is actually an innovation. It was a brand new thing in the book of Exodus. It's the first time, actually the second time, that we're introduced to the theme of Sabbath. The people of Israel are leaving out of slavery in Pharaoh's economy where they do not get a day off, where they do not get time with their families, where they do not even own their own schedules or bodies. And the innovation that God gives to the Hebrew people out of Pharaoh's Egypt is the gift of the Sabbath. You see, first, God saves the people out of Israel, out of slavery, out of Egypt, out of slavery, and into a new economy, into a new world, into a new way of marking time, a new week. But pretty soon, the people of Israel are griping. In fact, it says in the scriptures that they were grumbling. They're grumbling about the terms of their new employment with God. How do you think that goes? Right? So they're out in the wilderness and they say to God, we just wish we were back in Egypt. Back there, there were these flesh pots we would gather around and we would eat our fill. So what does God do? God gives them their fill. God gives manna in the wilderness, and water, and everything that the people need. God always provides, even when the people are just griping. God always gives. God always provides. And eventually, at Mount Sinai, God gives an architecture for rest— It's like a structure to live by, a week-by-week structure to mark our time, to mark our moments, to mark what is most important in our lives. That is what the Sabbath is for. And so, so Moses climbs all the way up onto the mountain, and the story says that there were clouds of thick darkness covering the mountain, and Moses meets with God, and God provides what? Does anybody know, you remember this story? Anybody? tablets of stone, and there are how many? 15, 10 commandments, right? There are 10 commandments that God gives, and they're, they're, the first two commandments are given as a way to respect God, and who God is in our lives, and in all of creation, and then there's this in this in the middle commandment that comes next. But after that, there are all these commandments about how we treat one another, how we treat other humans, how we treat all of God's creation. But the one in between that relates to both God and to humans and to ourselves is remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. God provides this architecture for rest. But what are the people of Israel doing? Well, they're working gold into an idol at the foot of the mountain. They weren't resting. They weren't even feasting. They were doing business that they shouldn't have been doing. So Moses comes back down the mountain, slams the tablets down in anger, and eventually goes back to be with God, and God reminds Moses, this is a stubborn people. They're going to have to practice this for yet another 40 years, an entire generation, to learn the essentials of how important Sabbath is in our world. You see, creatures need Sabbath, and isn't that cute? <laughs> if that's not enough, creatures need Sabbath. Creatures need Sabbath, and my favorite of all, creatures need Sabbath. But you know what? We're creatures. Humans need Sabbath. Am I right? But you know what? The earth needs Sabbath. And even further and even more radical of all, God needs Sabbath. You see, the earth needs Sabbath. There are moments in our world where the earth needs to rest. If you're a gardener, if you're a farmer, you know this. The earth is intended to be laying fallow, to rest. If you're working crops, you have to rotate different crops through your field so that the earth can rest. You can't just till, and till, and till, and grow, and grow, and grow. The earth gets weary and tired. The earth needs rest, and humans need rest too, right? We need this moment to relax and to rest. When God gave the the, the law in the book of Leviticus, uh, there is... There are entire sections uh, of Leviticus that talk about how humans should behave on the Sabbath day, training this people for an entire generation to learn their humanity, to reclaim who they were created to be outside of Pharaoh's economy. Humans need Sabbath. But even more in these laws, it gave exactly specific guidance to how often the land should receive rest. Really, actually, scientific guidance. All around the number seven, every seven years, you let your field rest so that you can keep growing for the next seven years. But it all centers around the verses in the very beginning of of Scripture itself. Where God created everything that exists in how many days? You know this number. How many days did God create? Seven, I see the number. Wrong. God created the earth in six days. And on the seventh day, God rested. Because God needs Sabbath. God needs rest. The creator of the stars at night. God needs rest. The the spirit of life and love and breath that fills our lungs needs rest. The one who raised Jesus from the dead needs of all things rest. It makes no sense in our brains except that maybe it keeps teaching us that creatures need Sabbath. That creatures need Sabbath. That creatures need Sabbath. Enter Jesus some thousand years later. And he's teaching to the Pharisees and the scribes who who had figured out a way to make Sabbath into something that you had to work really hard at. You had to always be on the lookout for ways that you were working on the Sabbath day and countless rules and regulations about how to treat that Sabbath. You can't do this, 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 this. And the list would go on, Right? And so as the disciples are wandering through the fields, plucking a simple uh, grain of wheat, probably talking with one another, the Pharisees and the scribes are on the lookout and they say, aha, we've caught you, as religious insiders so often do. And they say to the disciples and to Jesus, you cannot pick grain on the Sabbath day, which is when Jesus says this, the Sabbath was made for humankind and not humankind for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. In our strange, upside-down, topsy-turvy world, oddly enough, we have also turned Sabbath into something that we can yet improve upon. God's gift of a day of rest wasn't enough, and so we come up with ways to improve the Sabbath a program to follow perhaps, a wellness routine, a subscription for only $9.99 per month or twice or three times or ten times, that a productivity planner, we have turned mindfulness to improve your workflow. Sabbath has become a set of rules and a new law, a thing that only benefits those who can afford it. A thing that is only given to those who can carve out the time. A thing that we have to work towards day in and day out. And our employers might say, yes, please, it will make you better at your jobs. Do you see how wrong this is? Right? I've gotten to know one of the foremost biblical scholars of our time through uh, a ministry here of our congregation, this little ministry that has grown with deep roots and wide branches called Church Anew, and we've gotten to know this, this man named Walter Brueggemann, and in a book a few years ago, he wrote this about our world that seems to keep spinning forward. Multitasking is the drive to be more than we are to control more than we do, to extend our power and our effectiveness. Such practice yields a divided self with full attention given to nothing. We need Sabbath. We need it now more than ever. And Sabbath is no new innovation. Sabbath Sabbath is nothing that we can just carve out and put in our calendar and get better at and improve our well-being, but it just might. You see, Sabbath is something that was given to all of creation at the dawn of time. Sabbath is the logic that our whole world revolves around. Sabbath is the practice that Jesus teaches us and keeps teaching us and keeps teaching us day after day, week after week, year after year, generation after generation, and we're still learning. It took the people of Israel a whole generation to get to the promised land and it takes us generation upon generation upon generation to learn and relearn this practice of Sabbath. But the gift is still there. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to mark it on our report card. It's given free of charge to each and every one of us. And so with that, I have three points. (laughs) It's been a little while. (laughs) Number one, and this is an introduction from my daughter Dorothy. When Dorothy is eating something really tasty, you know, something that she's savoring and enjoying, and she gets to the point where she's full, and I ask her, are you done with that? Usually because I'm gonna polish off the rest of it, right? I say, are you done with that? And Dorothy's response is almost always, I'm done for now. And don't I love that response? Wisdom from the mouth of babes. When in your work week are you done for now? Hmm? Is it at 445? I'll confess, there's many times when it's not for me. When I'm at dance on Tuesday nights trying to crank out six more things, right? When can you put the work down and say, I'm done for now? This is serious stuff. Tomorrow will always come. And we can always do more with today. But the gift of Sabbath is saying, we can put this down for now. And it will be waiting for us when we return. And it's up to us to say that we're done for now. No one else is going to do it for us. Not managers, not teachers, not preachers. God isn't going to step down and put a stamp on your paper and say you're done for now. We have to tend it. We have to tend it. And it's hard work. Point number two. Your job is only part of your work week. Tuesday night is as much of my week as Monday morning. Sleepy Saturdays and our favorite as a family bagels on Saturday mornings is as much a part of my week as staff meetings every Tuesday at nine. Time tucking my kids into bed is as much of my work week as board meetings or fundraising and I preach to you the things that I need to hear myself as well I'm no expert my spouse will tell you man cold and boundaries I work on just like the rest of us but when do we highlight the things in our world the things in our lives that are the other parts right you were not just born to center your entire existence on work and labor. You were born to heal, to grow, to be of service to yourself and community, to practice, to experiment, to create, to have space, to dream, and to connect. This is from The Knapp Bishop. I love that title. Trisha Hersey wrote a book called Rest as Resistance. It's about reclaiming this activity of Sabbath in a world that always wants more from us. And number three, we are not human doings. Did you know this? We are actually human beings. And to put it more finely in the words of E.E. Cummings, we are a human merely being. We are about so much more than what we accomplish. And Sabbath is a practice of centering the things that matter most. We learn this practice from our Jewish siblings. And I want to share with you one of the quotes from Abraham Joshua Heschel, who is a rabbi who uh, marched in the civil rights movement and who has been incredibly influential in how I understand this practice. He writes in this beautiful little book called Sabbath, of all things, unless one learns how to relish the taste of Sabbath, one will be unable to enjoy the taste of eternity in the world to come. Sabbath is an invitation to us into having heaven on earth. We pray in the Lord's Prayer, right? On earth as it is in heaven. Sabbath is the invitation where God leans close to us, where God names what is most valuable in our world, in our lives, and where we can practice that day in and day out with a breath, or an hour, or a day, or a week, or a month, or a summer. Sabbath is a practice that we desperately need. So, my question, and I like to leave us with a question to meander into this week is who gets our best? Hmm? Who gets it? Does it happen Monday morning or Tuesday afternoon? Who gets our best? And are they the people? Or the most important in our lives? I can't answer that question for you. But I can confess when I was pretty mixed up about who was getting my best. And it was just this last week, by all means. You see, I pulled into the garage. And uh, I had Alma in the back seat. And she... Was just chatty and chirpy, and I was trying to hang on to the conversation with Alma, but also juggling the things that I was finishing and needed still to finish. And I pulled into the garage, and uh, I was just about to get out of the car, and 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 Alma said quickly, "Daddy, can I go for a bike ride?" And I said, "No." Oh, I said, "No." But Alma, without a single moment, said, Daddy, when else am I going to be able to bike in January? (laughs) And who brought me back down to earth but a not-quite-ten-year-old, right? And so, of course, bike to your heart's content. Look at what matters the most. Center your lives around the things that are essential. You see, Sabbath reminds us that we have time. So do something that matters most with it. Amen.